Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wessel Show, and I am your host and executive producer, Lois Wessel. We are coming to you live this morning from Houston, Texas at 8 o'clock a.m. Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free. And if you do, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. The call-in number for this show, if you want to talk online or ask questions or share information, is 347-945-5309. You can telephone or you can call us using Skype. After you call, if you want me to open the line and let you speak on the show, then hit the number one. In the second half of the show, we'll begin taking questions. I also want to tell you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics and spirituality, the coming changes, and the kinds of things that we talk about here on the show. And to sign up for that free newsletter, you go to hotpinklotus.com. And I don't ever share your email address with anyone. Well, today what I want to talk about is um, energy coming from crystals and some experiences that people have had. And if you've got some you want to share, we'd love to hear that. Also, I want to talk about uh, a book I recently discovered where uh, a scientist has actually done some experiments, double-blind, the regular old, you know, empirical studies, on a whole lot of things having to do with energy, but I want to talk about the chapter where he talks about sensing the energy of minerals and crystals, and he has found that some people can do that. But before we talk about that book, which, by the way, the name of it is The Energy Healing Experiments by Gary Schwartz, before we do that, I want to talk about some experiences that I have had with crystals. I've always been interested in them and attracted to them, and when I talk about crystals, I mean minerals as well. And I learned, oh gosh, probably 25, 30 years ago, name more like 25 years ago, at the Esoteric Philosophy Center when that existed in Houston, how to uh, use uh, sound and color on on chakras. And uh, what came naturally out of that was putting certain colored stones on chakras. And so I guess about 10 or 12 years ago I began actually using stones on people's chakras and just because I was guided to and I was using Tibetan bowls and that sort of thing in the healing and following guidance and then getting feedback from clients that this was a very positive experience and they felt healing. But I didn't really understand what was going on fully and then I had a client one day who told me, who came in actually and had never had any energy healing and I asked her if she'd like to try this and she she did she had the crystals on her chakras and she had the Tibetan bowl and the um, at the time I was using Reiki energy in addition to that and she became a regular client and she said she really enjoyed it and was very impressed with what she experienced but I never really heard until much later what it was exactly that she experienced and I think she assumed that I knew what she had experienced she could feel waves of energy coming out of each of the separate stones. 
which I was unaware was happening. Some people perceive energy visually. I am more like that. Some people perceive it auditorily, and I have a little bit of that. I'm less likely to actually feel it, as in the body and skin. Um, I'm getting more so in that way. But some people primarily feel the energy. And so this lady was feeling the energy. And she told me about three years later she was going to send her boyfriend in because this was the most powerful thing that I was additionally doing things like body talk system. But she wanted me to put the crystals on him because it was such an immediate thing and he would get it that something was going on. And I said, he would? Oh, yes. She said he would get it because the power of the crystals is so intense and so immediate. So I got curious about that, and when I had a break in my day, I picked up some of those crystals that I had in my healing room, and I was collecting more and more all the time for, of you know, different colors. And uh, I began putting some of those crystals on my chakras, and I was very shocked to see what happened because I began to feel waves of energy coming out of the crystals. And then some of the energy began to move, um, down my legs and out the bottoms of my feet, which I thought was very strange, and I'd never read or heard anywhere that this could happen. This was a number of years ago. And so I became quite intrigued with um, learning more about the stones, and I understood what she meant then. One of the things I found out was that anything that's in a healing environment, and the stones had been sitting around in my healing environment for years, that anything that is in a particular environment, whether it's um, in a jail cell or in a healing room or in a church or in an operating room, the objects that are there pick up the vibration of whatever's happening, happening there. If you want to read more about that, it's very well explained and documented, and there have been scientific studies in uh, a book called The Intention Experiment by Lynn McTaggart. That's M-C, capital T-A-G-G-A-R-T, The Intention Experiment. And in that particular um, experiment that I'm talking about, they measured the energy frequencies coming from a particular object. They put it in the center of a circle of meditators who then began to meditate with that object in the center of the circle. They measured the energy that was coming from the group of meditators and then later measured the energy coming from the object that was in the center of the room and the same energy that was coming from the meditators was now coming from that object. And they shipped the object thousands of miles away and measured the energy again, and it still gave off the energy of the meditation, the same energy that the meditators had been giving off. So objects in an environment will pick up the frequency, particularly coming from humans, that it exists in the space where they are. And so my crystals had apparently picked up the frequency of all those healings I'd been doing in the room using various forms of energy medicine from Reiki to body talk and psyche and all those different kinds of things. 
and I wasn't aware of it. Additionally, um, crystals, stones, have their own consciousness. And I had studied this also at the Esoteric Philosophy Center and had done some experiments with it. And In fact, there are those who say that everything has consciousness, including your computer and your car and your you know, shoes. But but let's go back to crystals. So <clears throat> I realized that these crystals had been picking up the healing energy in my space. And I also knew that they had consciousness of their own, so they had um they had will and were living things. They just moved at a much slower rate. And I'd also read somewhere that crystals grow even after you put them on a shelf. And it was theorized that they must be living off of light. So I began measuring some of my crystals, and over a period of a year, they a crystal that was about three inches long might grow like a quarter of an inch, measurably. So something was going on. They were not just inert like... Um, one might think they were growing and they give off a vibration, which we know because that's how watches and radios work. And there were people who I knew that would talk to their crystals and ask their permission to uh, work with them and ask them if they would like to volunteer to um, charge up their water or be used in the healing setting. And so I was aware of all of this but no one, to my knowledge, had ever done any kind of tests to prove this kind of thing. But it looks like Gary Schwartz has. And I want to read you that's about a five-page uh, chapter on sensing the energy of minerals and crystals. And again, it's Gary Schwartz in the Energy Healing Experiments. Okay. When you were a child, did you ever play with a crystal radio? When I was around 11 years old, I spent many wonder-filled hours listening to Long Island and New York City radio stations with my toy crystal radio set. The words wonder-filled do not capture the rapture and awe that I experienced as I carefully placed the little wire probe on segments of a tiny quartz crystal. I was able to discover the hot spots on the crystal that made it possible for me to hear faint voices and music coming through the headphones. How could a shiny little rock, the quartz crystal connected to a wire antenna, tune in and amplify invisible signals that brought programs like Murray the K, a famous disc jockey of the 1950s? There is clearly more to minerals and crystals than their external structure and beauty. Native Americans and other indigenous peoples believe that minerals and crystals have energy, that minerals and crystals can sense our energies and the energies in their environment, that minerals and crystals generate specific patterns of frequencies, which when used by a skilled medicine man or woman or shaman can contribute to healing and to health. 
that these creations of nature are as alive as plants and animals. And that, moreover, if we are trained to listen to them, we can learn to communicate with them. To native peoples, rocks are not inanimate objects. They are gifts of spirits placed here for our health, education, and evolution. Through my early experience with crystal radios, awakened me to the possibility that there was more to rocks than met the eye. I treated as legend the idea that humans could actually detect specific energies or signatures of minerals and crystals. I considered Native American folklore to be just that, folklore, not fact. Until a few years ago, my interpretation of so-called crystal healings was that if they occurred, they were an expression of belief and expectation, not energies and frequencies. As far as the healing process was concerned, crystals were just another form of placebo. Now the next subtitle is White Crow of Sensing Crystal Energies. One of my favorite quotes, as readers of my earlier books know, is from William James, the distinguished professor of psychology at Harvard in the late 19th century. James was fond of saying and I paraphrase slightly, in order to disprove the law that all crows are black, you need only find one white crow. In the late 1990s, a young undergraduate walked into my office at the University of Arizona with a very strange request. To protect his anonymity, I'll call him Jason. He wanted to find a way to prove for the scientific world that people could detect the energies of specific crystals with their hands. He knew that I directed what was then called the Human Energy Systems Laboratory and that I conducted research in biofield science and energy healing. He submitted, he surmised correctly, that if any scientist on campus would be open to investigating his claims, it would be me. My first impression of Jason was that he was, so to speak, a strange bird. The possibility didn't even occur to me that he might prove himself to be a white crow of crystal energy detection. His history, as he recounted it that first morning, was unusual. Part Hopi, he grew up among family members who claimed to have psychic and intuitive gifts including the ability to communicate with animals, plants, and even minerals and crystals. Jason said he spent thousands of hours as a child and adolescent playing and working with minerals and crystals. He had a huge collection of stones, many of which, or perhaps he would prefer if I wrote many of whom, he considered to be his friends. He would ask the individual stones if they wanted to play with him or be used for specific healing purposes. He even claimed that his cat had favorite crystals and could discriminate between them even if they were hidden from view. Was Jason sane and well-grounded? I wasn't sure. He seemed to be an extraordinarily playful and open-minded individual, but children have wonderful imaginations. Were his claims a product of lingering childhood fantasies or a combination of superstition plus self-deception? Or was he perhaps recounting real events about a genuine phenomenon that could be observed and documented in the laboratory? To test Jason's devotion to this work, 
I suggested that he first produce a compendium of the various minerals and crystals he had, plus others, and carefully describe their histories in terms of purported personalities, healing properties, and human sensory effects. For example, some crystals are believed to have sedative effects, while others are thought to be stimulating. Jason came back a few months later with a tome of organized information. No question about it. He was a hard worker, well-organized, thorough, and devoted. His crystal and mineral volume was scholarly and comprehensive. The totality of information he showed me, which I thought was probably mostly fictional, frankly gave me a headache when I realized he knew most of it by heart. He claimed that he could sense the qualities of different minerals and crystals, even if he could not see them or touch them. When I approach a scientific question, I begin at the simplest level. The conversations went something like this. I asked Jason, could you detect whether a stone was present or not? He said, of course, that's easy. Anybody can make an outlandish claim. Could he back it up in the lab? I asked, if we placed a series of stones in an enclosed container so you couldn't see them, could you sense whether or not a stone was present in each? He said, yes. So if we built ten containers and put stones at random in five of them, you think you could determine which boxes held the stones, I I said? He replied, why not? Again, this might seem like a no-brainer to him, but I seriously wondered whether he was deluding himself or trying to delude me. Over the course of a few meetings, we designed and had built ten wooden boxes. They were approximately 12 inches by 12 inches at the base and 16 inches tall. Each had a silk cloth front so that Jason could put his hand inside without being able to see whether a stone was present or not. The bottom of the box was lined with silk upon which a stone could be placed. A silk cloth with little holes was secured about four inches from the bottom of the box, which prevented him from reaching down to feel whether a stone was present, but still purportedly allowed the energy to come through. One of the many questions that arose was how the minerals and crystals should be selected. You can imagine my surprise at Jason's response. He suggested that he ask his stones which of them wanted to participate in the research. Given that Jason was the expert and I wanted him to feel comfortable with the process, I said, good idea. Later on, and if he succeeded with his first test, we could always test his ability to detect specific stones. We could even determine in future experiments if it really made a difference whether the stones agreed to participate in the research or not. The experiment was designed as follows. A research assistant, Shirley, would place stones in five of the boxes and then set them out at random on a table in two rows of five boxes each. Jason would then be invited to enter the room, place his hand inside each box, not touching the sides of the box or the stretched silk cloth within the box, and attempt to sense the presence or absence of a stone. He could take up to a minute to make each determination. Shirley would record his responses. After completing the 10 boxes, Jason would leave the room. Shirley would then select a new random set of numbers, a random order of numbers, 1 through 10, calculated by statisticians, and rearrange the boxes accordingly. Jason would be invited back into the room and go from box to box, making his determinations. This procedure would be repeated 10 times. Since there were 10 boxes and 10 sets of trials, this generated 100 trials of information. If Jason was deluding himself and he could not really 
since the presence of the stones, his accuracy would hover around 50%. Statistics tell us that out of 100 trials, if he got 65% correct, his performance would be statistically significant. This is a probability level of P and then a little minus, a little lesser than mark, 0.05, meaning 5 out of 100, which is 1 out of 20 by chance. If he got 75% correct, his performance would be highly statistically significant. That's a probability of level of 4 out of 10,000, which is 1 out of 2,500 by chance. How did Jason do? No question about it. He appeared to be a white crow. Jason averaged above 95% accuracy. This is extraordinarily significant. A probability level far beyond one in a million by chance. Not only did he average above 95% accuracy detecting when a stone was present and when it was absent, but his performance was in the low to high 90s for each of the 10 boxes. My initial thought was something must be wrong here. Could the assistant be helping him cheat? Could Jason be somehow shaking the boxes? I requested that they repeat the experiment with five new stones. Again, Jason was permitted to let the stones agree to participate. Moreover, I requested that someone else conduct the experiments. Shirley's mother, who was highly skeptical of Jason's crystal claims, agreed to serve as the research assistant. Driven by her suspicions, she would be watching closely to see if she could catch Jason doing anything improper. The experiment would be videotaped. A total of 100 trials would again be conducted. Would the findings be replicated? To my surprise, Jason's performance continued to average around 95% accuracy. We then repeated the experiment a third time. Another 100 trials were collected. The results were the same. It appeared that Jason could do what he claimed he could do. Imagine the situation for Jason, growing up exposed to Native American beliefs and practices and accepting them as his own, playing and working with minerals and crystals and making them into his friends, reaching the point where these experiences seemed second nature to him but were viewed as weird, if not crazy, by his peers and teachers, regularly communicating with his stones, and then this professor asked him to do an experiment over and over where he must blindly detect whether or not one of his friends is in a box or not. How would you feel doing these simple experiments? Jason appreciated my need to start from the beginning. He understood my need to establish def- definitely, I'm sorry, definitively that at least one white crow of mineral and crystal detection existed and could be studied in the laboratory. If there was one white crow, there were probably others. Moreover, in theory, it was a possibility worth investigating that people, including you and me, could be taught to detect the presence of stones and even the energy signatures of stones, just as people can be taught to detect the presence of fractures in x-rays or even the signatures and particulars of the fractures. Jason and I did many mineral and crystal sensing experiments. One of my favorites and the most important concerned his claim that natural crystals had stronger energies and were more alive than man-made or synthetic crystals. Moreover, Jason discovered that he did not actually have to put his hands inside the box. He claimed it was easier to sense the difference between natural versus synthetic quartz crystals if he kept his hands outside the box. The wood actually served as a subtle filter that facilitated the distinction between natural and man-made. We always used 10 boxes. 
This time, three of the boxes contained fairly large, two to three inches long, natural quartz crystals. Three other boxes contained even larger, three to four inches long, synthetic quartz crystals. And four boxes contained no crystals. A total of 100 trials constituted a single experiment. The findings were basically as follows. When Jason's hands were outside the box, his performance for natural crystal detection fell, fell from 95 to approximately 75%. In other words, 25, 25% of the time he said there was no stone when a natural quartz crystal was present. Not as impressive, but still highly statistically significant. At the same time, his accuracy in detecting the absence of stones also fell from 95 to 75%. Instead of reporting 5% of the time that a stone was present when it was not, he reported this 25% of the time. Not only were his hands farther from the stones, inside the box his hands were 5 to 6 inches away from the stones, outside they were 17 to 18 inches away, but the wood on top was serving as a subtle filter or shield for the energies. The important question was, given these experimental conditions, what would his ability to detect man-made quartz what would be his ability to detect the man-made quartz crystals? What we discovered I lost my place. What we discovered was that when his hands were outside the box, his ability to detect whether there was a man-made crystal in a particular box plummeted to 50%, pure chance. In other words, we confirmed both of Jason's claims. First, he could detect above chance the presence of a natural stone even if his hands were outside the box. And secondly, man-made quartz did not generate the same level of dynamics of energy as did natural quartz, so he often thought that a box containing a man-made crystal had no stone in it. Presuming for the moment that this experiment was valid, and I'm convinced that it was, these, question, these questions arise. What does it mean? Is natural quartz more alive than synthetic quartz? Does natural quartz emit stronger and more dynamic energies than a synthetic crystal? Is the natural quartz possibly even detecting the presence of Jason's energies, if not his consciousness, and responding in kind? The prediction comes from what is called a dynamical systems theory, the idea that atoms, molecules, and cells, and so on, exchange information and energy to various degrees. Is this a two-way street, a communication process between Jason and his crystal friends? Later in the book, we'll explore the idea that science provides a firm foundation for theorizing and documenting the dynamics of energy communication within and between all things both visible and invisible, from the extraordinarily tiny to the infinitely large. Okay, again, that is from the Energy Healing Experiments, Science Reveals Our Natural Power to Heal by Gary Schwartz, Ph.D. And so, if anyone has any uh Anything they want to share, any questions they want to ask, be sure and um, call in or ask on the chat. Right now we're going to listen to some music.
this is what you would do. Get into a quiet place, find a place where you won't be interrupted and where it's quiet and peaceful. Take your favorite stone or crystal with you and hold it in your left hand. Take a few deep breaths allowing your abdomen to expand as you inhale. And blow the breath out through your mouth. Again, inhale through your nose, allowing the lower abdomen to expand as you inhale. And gently blow the air out through your mouth. One more time. In through your nose, slowly. And out through the mouth. And now, with your eyes closed, of course, 
Notice where your consciousness is. Is it in your head? Is it in your heart? For most Westerners, it's going to feel like your consciousness is in your head. Imagine that your consciousness is a very tiny person. And allow that little tiny person in your head to float down as though there were an elevator in your head, down, down to your heart. And step into your heart and feel the gentle energy there. Notice that there is now a connection between head and heart. And then from your heart, allow your consciousness to glide gently down your arm on the inside. All the way down to your hand. And out the palm of your hand. Where your consciousness, a little person, will enter the stone or crystal that you are holding. As though it were a room. And inside the crystal, just look around and see what you see. Almost every stone or crystal that is not man-made has a little diva inside a diva of the stone or crystal. It's a spirit energy. Plants and trees also have these kinds of energies, divic energies. They comprise the consciousness of the stone or the plant. See if you can make contact with the little diva of the stone. You may have to try this more than once before you do it correctly or to your satisfaction. If you are seeing the diva of the stone, or feeling it, or hearing it, you can ask the stone if it would like to work with you in any particular way, or if it has information to share with you. Take a moment to do that now.
This is a simple exercise you can repeat anytime you like. Thank the diva for speaking with you. Hug it if you like. And now turn around and come back out of the stone and float back inside your hand, up through your arm, all the way up to the heart, where you will step into the heart, enjoying the energy there, and slide back up the elevator to the head, or remain in the heart if you wish, both are equally valid places to have your consciousness. The heart's actually a more powerful place. Its electromagnetic field is larger. And when you have reached the place where you intend to stay, you may very gently begin to wiggle your fingers and toes. And then open your eyes. You might want to keep a little journal. Do this exercise with each of your favorite stones and write down what the diva told you. Again, don't be discouraged if you can't do it the first time. Practice makes perfect. That concludes our show for today. We'll play some music again for you. And come next week, we're going to be talking to Marvina Meek, medium from Dallas, about a technique she does called soul clearing, which will help you get rid of any blocks that are preventing you from achieving your highest potential as a spiritual being, having a physical experience. Thank you for listening today. Luminous blessings. Amara ba
Thank you. 